I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest on this podcast, but uh, she deserves a starring role because uh, it was a great conversation and uh, and someone who uh, I just, I, I, I really enjoy her work and I really enjoy her as a person. Monica McNutt is a host, analyst, and reporter for ESPN and the MSG Network, sort of a, with a specialty in basketball. You've seen her on uh, NBA coverage seen her on WNBA coverage, probably seen her on first take, around the horn. She also, uh, if you're a Knicks fan, you're well-versed and aware of her. She's, uh, uh, I first met Monica in 2012 when she was a grad student at the University of Maryland. And uh, it's been awesome just to see her rise in the business. She's a real talent. She's genuine, authentic, and uh, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We, uh, we cover a lot of topics um, from the assignment that she's gotten to sort of her own career and growth path. And, um, it's an honest conversation about the sports media business. And, and I think you will enjoy it for sure. If you like these kind of conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note, uh, wherever you get your podcast, uh, that stuff has a significant meaning. Uh, as I've said, again, this is independent from the athletics. So that's, uh, that's how this podcast will continue. All right, great guest coming up. ESPN's Monica McNutt on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very excited to have this person on who, man, I can't, I, it feels like I met her a lifetime ago, and uh, since then she's just blown up. Monica McNutt is a host, analyst, and reporter for ESPN and the MSG Networks with a special with specialty in basketball. Uh, she has so many jobs. This is really, quite frankly, Monica, annoying that I have to like uh, talk about all this. She, um, you'll see her on ESPN's NBA coverage, as you certainly saw her at the draft and on the sidelines for games. We'll talk about that. She works as a WNBA host as well as a. Uh, uh, like a game analyst or a reporter, you will see her on shows like First Taken Around the Horn, so um, she can be an opinionist. I think as we're taping this week, next week she's filling in for Malika Andrews on ESPN's NBA um, studio shows. She appears obviously on ESPN's audio and uh, sort of social platforms. So this is someone who really is a a true example of, uh, as Draymond Green would say, the new media, um, because she's. Uh, um, She's really just, I think, very savvily been able to um, appear and work in a lot of different places. Monica, welcome. 
Oh, Deitch, it's so good to be with you. It's so good to be with you, Deitch. This is, I have to tell everybody that as uh, I was coming up in the space, I used to listen to the media podcast all the time. And I was like, one day I'm going to get to Richard Deitch's podcast. And here I am. Yeah. So welcome this is to an this, accomplishment. This begins slowly the, the decline of your career, Monica. This is the apex here by appearing on this podcast. <laughs> so. so let's take this uh, first. You've, um, you've had a lot of experience now in terms of working in both the NBA and WNBA in many different positions. So this is where I want to start and take each league separately, if you could. What's the most rewarding and the most challenging thing about covering the NBA? And then we'll do the WNBA. So rewarding or the thing you like the most and then the, the thing about it that's the most challenging. Rewarding, um, I think for it's for me showing up to games and events and coaches, not as much players, some the younger players a little bit, but coaches or support staff being like, yo, we like what you do. Like, you're good. We enjoy you. Um, keep up the good work. That means a lot because I think while I am someone who understands that as much as we're talking about sports, part of the industry and the assignment is to entertain respect from folks that do it, that I admire, that have lived it. That means a ton to me. So that's extremely rewarding. Um, and then I guess when it comes to interacting with players, you know, that was a good question or that was an easy interview or I enjoyed that. Um, I do have to say, though, like <laughs> during the Easter Conference Finals, I got Kyle Lowry post game after a win. They lost the next game. And then the following game, he's like, I can't talk to you. We lost it. I lost after I talked to you. And I felt horrible. Dyke. I mean, I'm not personally superstitious, but if like if guys are. I don't want to interrupt your mojo or your flow. Um, and then we know what happened in that series. So I hope he doesn't hold that against me. <laughs> uh, most challenging. There's two parts for this. For me, um, I think building trust in a real way. Um, trust slash access. Because I wear so many hats and I'm not in the NBA strictly, it just takes a little bit more effort and massaging and kind of FaceTime for me to start building that camaraderie there. Um, and then two, candidly, I hope to eventually get to the analyst chair. Um, I think reporting, I have a ton of respect for reporters. Lisa Salters, Cassie Hubbard comes to mind immediately. Roz Golden Wude, um, Malika Andrews in that position. I have a ton of respect for our reporters. I just don't know if that is truly my strength. I'm still working through that. Okay, and, and that makes sense because obviously you played and you have a certain eye when I think it comes to watching the game. And, you know, just like Van Gundy and Doris, these are either former players or former coaches or both in the case of actually Van Gundy and Doris. Um, so, yeah, I, I can understand why that would be your, your ultimate goal. Okay, and then the WNBA, most rewarding or the thing sort of you like or enjoy most about being part of the media element in that league and then the most challenging. I think it's the same thing. The most rewarding is respect, right? And while some of the women that are now a decade into the league and some of the names we know were once my peers on the collegiate level, that respect still matters. At the women's Final Four in Minneapolis this year, we were at a happy hour and Dan Hughes walks up to me and he's giddy, Dyke. Like he was giddy to say hey to me. And I'm like, you're Dan Hughes. Like I'm giddy to talk to you. Like he wanted to take a picture and send it to his wife. I mean, he was so encouraging in terms of 
what I bring and how important that is. And so to be affirmed in that way by someone who I have, I've long admired, um, it just kind of really blew me away. Same thing from the Chicago has Chicago sky head coach. Um, James Wade did the same thing. Like we were old friends and I'm like me coach. Like I appreciate you. No, you appreciate me. Um, so I think it's been really rewarding to ride with the W as it has garnered more attention and rightfully so the attention that it is deserves. Um, I think challenging is interesting because for a long time, and I know a ton of my friends that were writers have pointed this out over uh, various points in their career. You cover women's sports and post interview, there's a thank you, right? Like there's still this mindset in women's sports of thank you for your time. And so for me, as someone who's an opinionist, there's this line of like, I know I want to take every opportunity I have to put women's sports on and to celebrate what I love. But also, we're growing to a place where you can be critical in a healthy way. And, and it's okay. I think I filled in for TJI, and it was right after the news um, that Tina Charles was leaving the Mercury to go to Seattle, broke. And they gave me a little space in the show to kind of wax poetically. And I remember vacillating in my script, like, wait a minute, am I going to do this? But at the same time, I'm like, she's a pro, she's a vet, she's established. The W is a legit league. Every league is criticized. And I have questions on why you're now bouncing from a second team in two years. Um, and so I think the same way that I try on the men's side or in, even when I'm talking about other sports, you do it tastefully, not attacking a person's character. But we can have questions about what's happening in the sense of the business of the sport that we cover. Um, and so I think being able to find the safe space there um, has been sort of the most challenging part in the W recently. And just women's basketball in general, like Gamecocks fans, South Carolina Gamecocks fans hated me for a stretch over the course of the women's NCAA tournament. Mind you, I had picked them the entire time back, but their offense was looking funky, and I was just going to call it like it was. <laughs> that's really – it's great. That's first of all, it's a really perceptive point because the, as as the league matures, they have to, like um, – I think the players are cool with this. Like, they understand that they're going to be um, – there's going to be critical discussion of them, and, uh, and you are very right about – man, I, I was an AP voter for the women for women's basketball for a long time. And I would hear it from some fan bases if, like, I had a team, like, ranked 14th and then some other team, like, 12th. And, like, you know, I'd get a lot of sort of stuff online and Twitter, like, about, like, hey, here's why you're ridiculous on um, uh, on your point. And I always thought that was good because that was getting closer to the men. Like, that was, like, because every person who votes on everything for men's college basketball or the NBA has to hear this stuff as well. Um, so I think that's a good thing. I want to, um, because we're so close to it. You just are coming off a very big assignment uh, at the NBA draft where you're working for ABC, um, and your assignment is to interview the players after they're drafted. Uh, so not only is there tonnage when it, you know this is a draft that you know multiple millions of people watched. You know I think the first round on ABC was something like three million people. So it's a very big assignment for you. But more than that, it's um, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This was your job. You don't have a lot of time. To, with each of these players. So you really got to like, you know, you got to hope that either your first question or second question can produce something interesting. It's obviously the greatest moment of their life. You're dealing with family too. So just to be blunt, there's a lot of shit going on as you are doing this interview. Can you take my listeners into sort of the process of like, this is a, this is a challenging job and you're all doing it on live TV. Man, Deitch. First of all, that role was far more rewarding than I anticipated. At the end of the night, I was very proud of what we were able to do. But I also was frustrated because to your point, I knew it was going to be quick, 
I didn't know it was going to be as quick as it was. Like my terrific producer, Robert Ringer, um, we spent all of Wednesday leading up to the draft cultivating questions for every guy we knew that was going to be in the building. And so, yes, of course, you don't ask them, why did you shoot 36 percent from three in the tournament on their first question after this big moment? But I had, you know, two maybe softballs and a question that was really geared to sort of their path to this moment. I, I didn't even get to them questions most of the time. Right. Um, but I think that role for me, and I remember saying this to Rob, you know, we worked, we, we prepped and we prepped diligently, but I remember saying to him, you know, even if we hadn't done this, this is one of the things that I do believe is a natural gift and ability for me, being able to connect with people in whatever the moment is. Now, this obviously is a joyous moment, but I do think my ability to put folks at ease when we're having a conversation is something that I'm very proud of. And so I expected to do well. I didn't expect to feel, I guess, as full. I think the combination of both the draft and the celebration of the 50 year anniversary of Title IX and the way that the tie-ins were so deep, whether you talk about Paolo Van Carroll's mom or Neil Ivey, Jaden, Ivey, Jaden Ivey's mom, um, or Elizabeth Williams, Mark Williams' sister, who were all in the building. It was a really, really special night. And so I think that was one of the moments where allow for the human experience and live and breathe in that, as opposed to, you know, we can argue all day about X's and O's and timeout calls and shots taken or not taken. But that truly was about the human experience. And I was taken aback by how many tears and how much like for real weeping, not even like tears. A couple of those guys like could not get themselves together. And so it was cool for me to sit in that moment and just smile at them, honestly, just to be. And I said this like to be like, you know, that big cousin, like we celebrating together. I'm here for you. So a couple of things there. Um, the the switch off Jabari Smith Jr. to Paulo Bancaro was fairly at least in terms of the conventional when we found this out, fairly late. So you, I wonder just if um, from where you sat, at what point did you at least sort of mentally think, okay, the possibility of who I'm going to interview first is going to change here. Now, I, 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 I don't remember the timeline off my head, like when Woj or whoever reported that indeed the Magic were going with Bancaro, but I would think in your prep leading up, you at least mentally had to think, okay, the likelihood is the first person I'm going to talk to is Jabari Smith Jr., and then maybe it's Chet Holmgren, and then maybe it's Paolo Bancaro. And it turns out, obviously, that flips between one and three. Well, we prepared for all three to be one. Like, we, okay. you know what I'm saying? We, we prepared for all three to be one. And the day before, Wednesday, I sat down with all three of them, plus Shaden Sharp. And so we had a little bit more of a rapport, uh, which was terrific, because by the time Shaden got drafted, I can't remember... I want to say he went um, top 15. I'm pretty sure he did. I was yep. like, look, don't give me the one, one word answers you gave me yesterday. <laughs> but we had had a chance to build a little bit of a rapport. So he was like, I got you. And he was much better in that setting than he was the day before. Um, but we had a chance to prepare for all three of those guys. And it's interesting, Dyke, and I think if I return to that role, the first thing I legitimately wanted to ask Jabari Smith was you're not smiling. Right. And it, it, it may have led to the chip on the shoulder. I was kind of weighing that one out. And again, this was my rookie experience. I didn't think that that was the best spot, but you could see it. And I think in the broadcast, Stephen A. Smith actually pointed out he wasn't overly joyous. He now has a chip on his shoulder. He expected to be number one. Um, and so that was one of the things, as I said, in hindsight, there were a few spots where I felt like I could have been better. I think I probably should have gone with my gut on that one, at least on the second question. Um, but Paolo, like, I, his mom is terrific. Rhonda, she's outstanding. 
she kept saying she wasn't going to cry. And I think my tissue box, I'm, I love props, but my tissue box being there really just kind of leaned into the emotion of the moment for those guys. And then we gave Chet Holgren, we gave his dad, Dave, the trophy to retire his um, video camera, which I thought was a great moment. And they seemed to really enjoy it, too. Hmm. Uh, had you ever been in a situation? Uh, I'm trying to sort of do my recall here. Jaden Ivey, when he was talking to you, right, was pretty um, – he, he, he really – it was hard for him to talk. He was just so overcome with the moment. Obviously, I think anybody – who certainly follows women's basketball, knows who uh, his mom is. She's coached uh, uh, Notre Dame. She's a great point guard herself in both college and in the pros. And had you ever dealt with that kind of uh, moment where literally like your subject is so uncontrollably sobbing that you got to improvise in the moment because your subject may, may not be able to give you like um, his thoughts at that moment just because he's so overcome by, uh, I guess, the pure joy of the journey? Uh, not in that way. <laughs> but funny enough, when the Warriors clinched, I got Clay Thompson post game. And while Clay was not sobbing, he is also an emotive kind of guy. So he was kind of walking away from me, looking all around like I'm trying to follow his face with the mic. Um, so in terms of feeling the strong emotion, not a first time, but I think on that stage in terms of not really being able to be coherent. Yes. But again, like just be human. Like one of my cousins texted me that moment in the mo moment with Marjan Bochamp. She texts me and she's like, that's so you. And I'm like, he's sobbing. Like, you give him tissues and give him a moment? Is that not what humans do? Like, I didn't think that this was anything particularly impressive besides being in the moment with these guys and giving them their space. We just don't often see it on television for multiple reasons, including perhaps humanity, <laughs> right. but also time. And like, yeah, so there's two factors there. Um, all right. You, uh, by the way, I thought you did a really good job with the draft and, um, and for an assignment like that, uh, as you know, and as you probably talked to others who have done it before, it's always easier the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time around. It's just you're, you know, the you're just used to the mechanics of the draft, which can be a little overwhelming, I'm sure, for a first time or so. I, like now you know how the process is, it'll be different. One of the things uh, I've told you this obviously offline, but like one of the things I've admired about you is you really have um, had the drive to sort of almost take any opportunity wherever you can get it. Um, so you have worked, while people will know you, I think, because of your ESPN work, you've worked for Fox Sports 1, Overtime, I mentioned MSG Networks, WLG, uh, WJLA, mm -hmm. ABC 7 News, Channel 8 in D Washington, D.C., BN Sports, NBC Sports Washington, Pure, Pure Hoops Media, which is where I think you're doing your podcast now. Um, so, like... Do you think this comes from just, uh, I don't know, being an athlete and sort of understanding, like, the, the process and the grind is sort of part of, of everything? Because, like, one thing I get, like, that you, you were trying to get experience. But, again, like, one of the things I admired about you is, like, I felt like certainly at the beginning of your career you would have worked anywhere mm -hmm. just to get reps, basically. Like, it wouldn't have mattered if it was, like, uh, you know, like uh, – <laughs> you know, some 10 year old who started no. her own YouTube channel. Like you wanted, you yeah. wanted reps and like, I admire that. And now you've gotten to a big place, but so what was the, what was your thought process on that? Cause I don't know if everybody would have taken your path. I think a lot of people might not have done as many reps in as many different places as you did. Man, Deitch. I don't really feel like I have I had a choice in hindsight. Um, I knew 
that I wanted this. And once I got it through my thick skull that just because I was from the D.C. area and I hooped in the D.C. area, I wasn't going to be a sports anchor in D.C. at 23. Like once I figured that part out, they said, go get reps. I was like, all right, I'm gonna go get your reps. Um, And so uh, I didn't really think about it in in the pursuit, I guess, so to speak. I think about it a lot more now just because you got to have the bandwidth to do it all. And, and I guess, candidly, I'm getting a little older. Maybe the energy shifts. Um, but I don't really think I had a choice. And I look back on all of the things that I did, in particular, working at Prince George's Community Television, which was really the first time that I started doing sports shows as either host or analyst. And we didn't have a prompter, right? And so then I fast forward a few years to the first few opportunities I had to host shows with like networks. And people are blown away that, I'm not married to the prompter. And I remember having this moment like, oh, that was our little community television station. We didn't have a prompter. Like, I didn't have a choice. And so just kind of the way different things have aligned um, to strengthen the package that arrives today, I just, I really didn't think I had a choice. Um, They say, go get reps. And so that's what I went to go do. Because at that point, one, no job was too small. And then when they started paying, no check was too small, right? It becomes freelancing and stringing it all together like all of it the big ones and the little ones right um and so i i do say this to my good folks at the university of maryland running the maryland college of uh journalism um and the povich center in particular um sports journalism focused i do think that we and i hope maybe it has shifted when i graduated with my master's i knew about freelancing but i didn't know how to freelance and so when i hit the spot in my career where i didn't have a full-time opportunity that was an active life learning lab in order to freelance in a sustainable way and not just as a side job. And so I hope that we are truly equipping the next generation on how to best string it together and build those relationships because I don't know how many of us have the liberty of having a career that consists of all, all full-time opportunities anymore. You, um, you joined the ACC network in 2019 to be a studio analyst and a game analyst. Um, that I wonder for you, do you consider that the quote unquote big break because that gets you um, into the ESPN ecosystem or was it something else? So the big break came before that, I would say. Um, so when one of those networks that I used to work with doesn't exist anymore, American Sports Network turns into stadium. We get laid off from the location where the shot was in Florida. This is 2017. I moved back to D.C., back to my parents' house. Pride is shook, rocked, right? Um, and so... It took me until December 2018 to really catch again. Um, and I always give credit to LaChina Robinson, who left her package with Fox Sports 1 and told me she was doing so. So she literally pulled my chair to the table. Um, and that worked out. So anyway, I started doing games with FS1 for the Big East and the Big 12 at the time. And in March of that year, I'm sitting on my couch. I had just paid all my bills. I ain't got no money. I'm broke. Like, I'm teaching cycle classes, substitute teaching, <laughs> trying to do this media thing on the side. And I remember a number. I'm like, okay, if it's a bill collector, I'm just going to talk to them sweetly and be like, you know, if you look at my track record, I usually pay my bills, but right now I'm stuck. I ain't got it. Turns out it was Pat Lowry on the phone. Wow, <laughs> she's no. like, so that's she's, no, she's just for my audience. This is uh, the like ESPN's like point person when it comes to women's basketball, someone who can essentially hire anybody for any on air women's basketball job. Boom. Exactly right. So she's like, this is Pat Lowry. This is Monica McNett. I'm like, I, yes, it is. And I know who you are. How can I help you? <laughs> um, <and> so <laughs> this is like a Wednesday and I'm supposed to go to L.A. for Big E stuff on Sunday. She's like, I'm in a bind. Can you come 
cover my tournament and do my studio show on Saturday night. I'm like, yeah. So I go watch ACC tournament uh, Friday, drive down to Greenville, do the show on Saturday. On the way out, her um, terrific um, assistant, whose name I'm blanking on. Why can't I think of my girl's name? She's amazing. Anyway, she's like, Pat wants to see you. Pat wants to see you. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Swing by the truck. She says, there's a couple of times I would have wanted you to slow down in terms of your pacing, but you were so good. You came in clutch. You'll hear from us when we launch ACC. So that's how that happened. Uh, all right. That's cool. Opportunity. Uh, um, uh, luck is the residue of design or whatever that the branch mm-hmm. expression is. All right. So I want to get to LaChina Robinson because I know that she's been um, really important to your career. I know you've mentioned Maria Taylor and some others. And LaChina has been on this podcast many times. Uh, um, she's awesome. One of the best uh, um, in the women's basketball space, uh, for a long time. But so you said something and I, I'm usually really, really good with this. Um, but in an interview, uh, and I'll track it down, um, after, uh, we are done with this interview to give full attribution to where you said it, but this is you open quote you. One of the firm stances I took early in my career was that I'm not changing my hair and I'm going to show up to work with hoop earrings and bright lipstick. Lots of people want to be part of the sports industry, but you have to survive the war of attrition to stay in it. There are so many women who came before me, and I'm grateful for their efforts because I wouldn't be here without them. So you're in your uh, early 30s. Um, that's sort of the generation that you're part of. And so I want to ask you uh, this, because this is um, – just be blunt. Like in my career, even though I am, I am not a television person, I have obviously done audio and TV, I have never even had to contemplate – like what I look like or to should I change my hair? Should I dye my hair? Should my hair be straight? Should my hair be curly? Should, you know, obviously I've had to think about like, what should I wear? But quite frankly, like I'm not Brad Pitt. Like I, I, it's not, they're going to still put me on and my content's pretty good. So for you, it's interesting. Like, um, in that, um, clearly like you made a decision that you were going to be representative of who you are and let the chips fall where they may. And if I'm sort of going to play this out here, as a black woman, like, you made that choice given what you have seen on television before. I have never even had to contemplate this as a white male. So I wonder just if you can just sort of expand a little bit on what 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 you were thinking there, because I really admire you. You've kind of just been like, fuck it. Like, this is who I am. I'm not changing. And you'll either like me as a television uh, person or you won't. But I'm not going to pretend not to be someone I'm not. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. No, I mean, you nailed it, Dutch. And I think, I, 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 I think that came, it came in two waves, I'll say. I remember getting ready to graduate Georgetown. Everybody in my circle knew that I wanted to get in this space. And a coach who is still a near, dear friend to this day who I love, and I know he meant this with love, but he said to me, what are we going to do with your hair? I said, what you mean? Like, what? This is this is this is me. They go and hate it or love it, right? So the hair was kind of settled in, but I think as I began working in the space, like there is a local news look, right? Like it wasn't the lipstick then; it was less nail polish, it was smaller earrings. Like I was already going to push it with this hair. Let me not push it with this other stuff. But I think for me, Deitch, when I got laid off in 2017, um, and really got to sit with myself as an entire person. That's when the second wave came, when I was really sort of reinforced in it's not even just about you. It's about those that are watching you to be able to show up 
as your full self. Um, I know that the, the word authentic gets tossed around and sometimes I struggle with how lightly we use it or, or don't use it. But I really came to the conclusion that I'm the best version of myself and I, I suck at trying to be everybody else. Like, I just, I just can't do that. I can't give you newsy reporter voice. Like I'm not super still when I'm hosting, like I, I enjoy what I do and I hope that comes through. And so, um, in that same kind of time frame, I coined the phrase, you know, I have a healthy relationship with no. And that was to be able to receive no, because I was getting a lot of no's at that point, without it completely crushing and decimating my hopes and dreams, but also to be able to use no in terms of protecting myself and how I show up. Um, and so I just kind of decided that that's the way it was going to be. Now, I am not above understanding the importance of polish and code switching, as we call it in the Black community. And I think there are time and places for everything, because at the end of the day, this medium and my job is to communicate. And so that is to be able to communicate to folks that grew up where I grew up and talk like me and to folks that didn't to find that sweet spot. And I, to me, that is just the art of communication and not necessarily boxing myself in or showing up as less than myself. Um, and so when I was able to truly understand that and now that I got a little bit more juice, a little bit more clout, I'm in a position to push it a little bit more. And I understand that those liberties have to be earned, but at the same time on a base level, I came to the conclusion, somebody's going to say yes and somebody's going to say no. And that's okay too. All right. Appreciate that answer. By the way, this was Yahoo sports. That's where this is. Uh, Monica's from, and, uh, you can pronounce her name. I'll spell it. V I N C I N E. Vincian Nagomosi. Nagosi. N G O M S I. So shout out, to Vincey Ann for that uh, interview with Monica McNaught. That's where I took that from, uh, Yahoo Sports 2021. Um, thank you for that answer, and I want to sort of follow up here because um, LaChina clearly is a mentor for you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you, um, you've you noted in interviews that uh, Maria Taylor uh, would send you DMs of encouragement. She uh, sent out your reel, I think, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. at, at one point, right? I know there are others who uh, you would consider mentors. One of the things that always has stood out for me, I've interviewed Pam Oliver on this podcast many times, and I know her for a long time. And I can never put myself in her position because when it comes to representation, there was no, but there was no Pam Oliver when Pam Oliver was sort of your age mm -hmm. or a little bit younger. I mean, Jane Kennedy was on the NFL today, but it was very, very different. There was no, you know, Pam Oliver had to, in terms of like representation or who she wanted to be, she was essentially going to try to be somebody who was a white female uh, who was in the industry. So what's that been like for you? Because you at least are of a generation where there are some people who are in front of you, um, at least by a, a couple of years. And I want to ask, while by no means is like the sports media um, industry diverse enough at all, and it quite frankly doesn't represent the public uh, at large, or even close to it yet, but, and it's an important, but in 2022, it is better because at least if you're Monica McNutt at 20, 22, 23 years old, you have seen, you are, you at least saw black women who were on television with jobs potentially that you might want. And a lot of times the only way you can envision it, right. Is if you see it in front yeah, of you. A hundred percent. Um, Pam is so graceful. She's, she's just incredible. Her staying power. Listen, that is not something to sneeze at. Um, She's been amazing and, she, and she's so kind and generous. I, you know, Doris Burke was someone, well, first it was probably Robin Roberts for me, watching her on SportsCenter, being like, oh, cool, like 
I can do that. Like there, she's right there. And then not even just sports center, but when Robin was play by play on WNBA action, like on the court, like I remember those days in the early years of the W. So she was someone that I think sort of shaped my worldview even before I realized that was happening. But I do have to add, I am a product of Prince George's County, Maryland, which is one of those pockets in the country where black folks are professionals and live well. And so for me, while I understood the dynamics of our society, there's also just kind of been an ingrained, I can do whatever I want because plenty of black people that I know do whatever they want and live well. So that's part of who I am and how I've been able to approach this. Um, but then Doris Burke for me was like the goal. Like when I, and I got to hang out with Doris a ton during the finals. She's amazing. Recently became a grandmom. She's so excited. Her grandbaby's so cute. Um, but when Doris was doing women's college basketball, men's college basketball and NBA, I was like, wow, like this is, this is the dream. I think that I'm sure. Did you write a piece on her around that time? Yeah. Right. Like I remember, I remember (laughs) which one when, which Doris Burke piece. I think there was one at one point where she was in discussion for, um, some NBA finals to call NBA finals, like right after like the Drake thing and all, all of that, like I followed Doris. Right. Um, and so she's just incredible in person, just such a great, a wonderful human being, very thoughtful about what she's done in her career. But I, I have often said yep. that, you know, to me, she represents the top, top of the top in terms of who can do it. And so it's a yep. little disappointing, in my opinion, that there have not been more women clearly in her path. I'm raising my hand. I'd love to be a woman in her path, you know, like, and, and ESPN has given me an opportunity to call NBA action on the radio. I'm not saying that tomorrow I should be calling NBA games, but I'm hoping um, that I can get with leadership and we can figure out a path to that end. Um, because Doris has shown us that it can be done. Right. And there are other women that call men's action. Uh, Sarah Kustak, obviously in Brooklyn, uh, Lisa Meinsen, yep. Zora Stevenson, who does share some of the double or the play-by-play responsibility when Lisa's not there. Um, Renee Montgomery, Candace Parker, like there's plenty of women. Yeah. I mean, and even Stephanie Reddy. Yep. Yeah, there's been Stephanie a lot. Stephanie Reddy, and even for me, like with the Knicks, I'm an analyst in the studio. But to me, there's yeah basketball. I didn't mean to interrupt. Just basketball is the one place where a, across the board, multiple teams and both national and regional. That ceiling has been shattered. Like women now, I don't think an NBA fan blinks twice if there's a woman in the analyst right. chair on a broadcast. I, I'm not saying like um, they. I'm not, this has nothing to do. By the way, you may st- think Sarah Kustak or Doris Burke suck. That's a different conversation. But nobody blink. There's no surprise anymore to see that the gen. I feel like the gender of that's been eliminated. Where if it was the NFL. Yeah. People be like, holy shit, like that's not Troy Aikman. That's I'm making this up, uh Beth yeah. Mullins or something like that in the analyst here. That that hasn't that hasn't been shaken yet. But in the NBA, to its credit, I feel like that's now about the merit of how yep. good you are and not not yep. your gender. I agree. Basically. And so to me, um, let's get after it. Like I hope to have the opportunity to to, to prove um how good I am and what I can add to that space. So I'm really encouraged. Um, I do. I'm not disillusioned. And I think, you know, sometimes we come off these months designed to celebrate various communities and we come out a little disillusioned. We still have lots of work to do, um, but I'm encouraged. And I think the NBA leadership, Adam Silver, the ESPN's NBA leadership, Tim Corrigan, Dave Roberts, all those guys, like they are forward thinkers in that way. And so I'm excited to be a part of that team and just hoping to keep working. So so my opportunities, I would say I'll get to China right after this one. But real quick, like it must be for you, like. 
someone who's a hoop head, you played in college, like, it must be such a thrill when you, like, got assigned or have been assigned to, like, you're doing games with Breen and Van Gundy. I mean, you're basically doing games with the NBA Finals crew. And even if it's not an NBA Finals game, like, you you know what I'm saying? Like, I hope that nothing else, you at least sort of stopped for a second and, like, took it in, like, you know, holy shit. Like, this is essentially, for this game, I'm at the top of my profession in this specific assignment. My first um, assignment for ESPN as a reporter was Detroit in Houston with i don't think we had mike we had jeff and i think dave patch i think yeah we had dave because we went back to the hotel and we hung out a little yeah, bit another um, excellent broadcaster i mean great crew um i remember being super nervous i lucked up because kaylee griffin and who was with the rockets locally um is a friend from Big East days and then i've got some folks on the detroit side so i was able to get a little insider information to help get some good moments in terms of those interview opportunities that i have to sort of shine um but yeah, I, I definitely took that time, Deitch. And even at the finals, like, it's interesting for me because as someone who also gives opinion and Warriors Twitter was giving me the blues. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's fun. Like, I don't mind that. To me, as long as we're being disrespectful, I mean, as long as we're being respectful, we ain't got to agree. Um, and so I just, at the beginning of this season to where I finished this season, I definitely made sure to take my moments. Um, and for me, sometimes taking those moments don't include my phone at all because I really want to be present. So, whether it's LaChina, uh, you mentioned Jasmine Ellis a couple times in interviews, who's a producer, who's a good friend of yours, Maria Taylor. I know George Solomon had a big impact on your life. He's a former Washington Post sports editor who went to run the Merrill College at Maryland. Um, so, for you, at least, there's a couple of these people who have really uh, been pretty good mentors, right, to help you along the way, whether it's to uh, help you network or, if nothing else, to just, like, you can talk to somebody who's either been in that position or a similar position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the China has been so great. And I think she is someone who has decided she's going to stay in women's basketball largely, but she's never tried to force that conviction on me. In fact, she's like, mom, no go. Like we need your voice all over the place. Like bring eyeballs back with you. Maria obviously is, is incredible, and she's another salt of the earth type person. I am encouraged by the amount of women um, in my generation who believe there is enough. I am one of those women. Um, so many of my colleagues are those women. And I can remember, like, the arc of a career is so crazy, and I'm not even that old, but I can remember going to local news stations, applying for jobs, and being like, okay, ooh, they already got a black person in the sports department. Ah, they already got a black woman in the sports department. No chance. Like, you know what I mean? And so now to yeah. be in a place where we truly believe that there's enough. I mean, I'll throw L. Duncan in that list. Carolyn Peck, who we work with on um, uh, WNBA and, and women's college basketball. Andrea Carter, who's a star in the rising. Yeah, um, I like her. And yeah. busts her butt. Like, there's, we, we believe that there is enough. And we truly look out for one another. So that, to me, has been one of the very rewarding parts of this ascension. All right, a couple of more topics here. Um, now that you've been in this business for a little bit, can can one make a living doing only women's basketball as a broadcaster? Or, I mean, obviously some have. I shouldn't say can one because there are obviously a couple people have. But it really does strike me that like, um, if you love women's basketball and you want to do it full time as a broadcaster for your life, you almost got to have multiple. Uh, employers yes. to, to make it work for you in terms of uh, you know being able to you know get a live in a decent place and et cetera et cetera. I mean you've you've 
touched on this world a little bit, even though you obviously have done the NBA. But so, what have you found? Can it? St- do you think it can be done, or can it only be done if you, you know, like almost like the Debbie Antonelli kind of mm-hmm. mode, where you're like working for like uh, or Lisa Byington, where you're just working from multiple places? Um, I think I don't know that Pack. Well, no, uh, Carolyn Pack obviously NCAA championship winning coach. Yeah, it's a little you know different I mean? like, with her, right? Cuz yeah, right. I think if you have the pedigree, you can that to command that, you can. But even CP yeah. like she works with ESPN and she works with Las Vegas Aces, you know what I mean? Um yeah. China while she's uh, the lead studio host for WNBA for ESPN, she's got her podcast and other and different projects she's got going on. So I, I don't know, Dice. I think if you are of the again, the upper crust and can command that because of your work in the space. I do think that the numbers are starting to show up in a different way than they looked 10 years ago. Um, if I just sat here and picked apart the numbers of, in terms of what I do, uh, I, yeah, no, <laughs> I could, you could live. I probably couldn't live the way I'm living now, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, let's just be blunt. You know, obviously you don't have to tell my audience what you're making but the nba the your your nb the money that you can generate from being part of the nba family uh or the money that you can generate from being an opinionist on the first takes around the horns is going to be more significant right than than a women's basketball centric career yeah is that yeah i think that's i mean that's fair to say for sure i want to ask you about um an like sort of opinion being an opinionist or at least from your viewpoint of uh, of watching people who give sports opinions because you've now been on a number of these shows um and let me get to the sort of the draymond green sort of part of the uh equation here because i just think it's a really i think it's interesting what's going on right now in this space so i love seeing athletes get their own forum i i think it's really i think it's healthy i think it's interesting i like seeing them exercise their power um i certainly acknowledge that could mean like in in some ways they could bypass like the media or you know what i do for a living but i think it's good i think it's smart on a personal note like i have loved seeing draymond green call out uh, this is where the cursing part of the podcast comes in monica voldemort inspired career fuckheads like skip bayless who have spent their years monetizing and shitting on athletes day after day like i think that's good and i think there's a difference between having an opinion on athletes and sort of backing that opinion up without trying to necessarily create an environment where you're getting paid just for being sort of pure negative on said athlete i think what you do and you mentioned this earlier like with tina charles you're not going to spend every single day talking about Tina Charles to try to destroy Tina Charles. I think you're going to offer an opinion on her specific situation that's going on now, and then hopefully you you move to something else. You're interesting to ask this because you are uh, you played college basketball at the highest levels of your sport. You're a former athlete here. So how do you see it? How have you seen Draymond, J.J. Redick, and a lot of the basketball players who have started to get in sort of actively into media. I think we're going to see LeBron before his career is over, by the way, doing a weekly podcast. I, I think it's inevitable. So what's your, how do you see it from your perspective? I enjoy it, Dyke. And again, I think, and it's so funny, because when we were doing pre-show, pre-game interviews, I said to Jeremy, I was like, yo, tell your fan base stop being so sensitive. He was like, everybody's sensitive. I want to, he's like, <laughs> we're all sensitive. He's like, even you saying that is sensitive. Like, and so we were kind of joking about the sensitivity of the space. Athletes are, we've already established, at least I hope everybody's on this train, 
we've already established that athletes are more than athletes, right? Like they're not going to shut up and dribble, not in this era, and nor should they. Um, I think it is absolutely okay to have an opinion. And I will say this from personal experience, again, with my very small ascension, does not compare to the eyeballs or the comments or the followers that those guys have. I have found myself questioning whether I should have a burner account because people say anything. Like people say anything, right? And so the retort of say it to my face is legitimate. And so I think TV can be intoxicating and you can look up in the years have gone by and you've built a brand as someone who is a hater and crosses lines, but it works on TV because people are watching. And if you allow that to become your ethos, then here you are, right? Personally, these are incredible men and women. They are sons, daughters, fathers, um, husbands, wives, all of that. And so I don't, I don't have reason to go into your personal business. That's not where I'm at. Outside of maybe wondering whether or not Kyrie is a good teammate based on past behavior, your personal life is your personal life. Um, to me, athletes have every right to respond because they are humans. Um, I think mo in most cases, the nature of being able to be an athlete and compete is to take criticism and hear it and challenge it, right? Now, if we can, Stephen A pulls up to uh, Old Man in the Three in the Draymond Green show live, cool, great, love that. Let's have a respectful conversation. And even if we agree that we don't like each other, cool, leave it at that. Then it can be whatever it's going to be in the social space. But I, I applaud it, um, Deitch. I applaud the guys that are particularly thoughtful about it and not just spouting, but also guys that understand their brand. Like Draymond is not going to stop talking and he has owned that all the way around. Good, bad, ugly, whether he's playing well or not. Um, and I think that part is cool. JJ obviously is very deliberate and thoughtful and would much rather get into the X's and O's and the weeds of the basketball state because he's that into the game. But when he says something, you do tend to listen. And I've thoroughly enjoyed working alongside of him. So I don't have an issue with it. I think the human experience is to maybe cross a line here or there. And if you don't make that a habit, you should be able to have grace. Um, but then again, there are some folks that have made it a habit. And I'm not mad at guys if they feel like you've come at me out of left field for no reason multiple times. Now they have the platforms to respond. Yeah. And listen, again, opinion makes the world go around. Uh, actually, opinion is, opinion is great. Like, it's it's fun. Um, the only thing I've ever sort of tried to write about is when um, you're sort of monetizing um, animus uh, at the sake of an athlete, even if that athlete is super famous like LeBron or Draymond or, or Aaron Rodgers or whoever. And a lot of times, while the person who's sort of doing the commenting is going to get the focus, that's all greenlit from executives. Yep. That's all yep. greenlit from networks. Yep. So, you know, I, I mean, I never sort of lose track of that. I, I, I think anybody who's ever listened to me or read me knows how I feel about, about someone like Skip Bayless. But he's really just a symptom of it. The, the, the issue is there are net, the networks, both ESPN and Fox and executives there, are, uh, you know, greenlit this, allowed this, so that... That, to me, is where my issue is. One last thing on this point, Monica, and then we'll, we'll end on something uh, much more fun. When you, are, um, when you are on a show like Around the Horn or when you're on a show like um, First Take, one, I think it's great because for a long time it was only men who were really offering an opinion, and the woman on that show was the moderator, Carrie Champion, basically like was in the middle of Bayless and Smith and just sort of was like her job was to move the show along, not to offer opinion, which was always bullshit, but that's how that show was set up. Um, do you find that um, you – how do I sort of say this? Um, like, 
do, do you find like when you will say something on those shows that people will remember that more than let's say you working the NBA draft and asking interviews? I'm just trying to get a sense from your world. Like, are you recognize isn't the right word, but do 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 people reference something you said that's an opinion more versus like you know what I'm saying? Like versus you working on like the draft and doing something like in the quote unquote reporting space. And my guess would be yes, right? Absolutely, Deitch. And you know why? Because the crazy clips, when I jump off the deep end, they get posted to the first take Instagram, they go out <laughs> on the first right. take Twitter, and then you get the quote seat at Monica McNutt or at McNutt Monica, this you, and I gotta eat it. Like, <laughs> so I did right. say that I didn't, I thought the Warriors dynasty was closed. And I, Deitch, it's so, it, okay, let me rewind. <laughs> Yeah. You're not I'm, the only one. I didn't say that, but you were you were not alone in that. Let's put listen, it that way. As I've been ascending, I think the thing that makes a show like First Take in particular tricky, Stephen A has the clout. He's well established. Chris Russo, Mad Dog, like they have JJ Reddy, like they have the clout. Yeah, they are well established. They've done it for a long time, right? Right. And so for me, I'm sort of navigating this space where I want to entertain, but I also want to remain credible, and I have to give an opinion, right? And again, people remember when you say stuff wrong, that can dash your credibility. Now, it's two sides to the coin. When I picked the Memphis Grizzlies to beat the Warriors in that playing game, and they did, that was sort of the first kind of, oh, wait, who is this girl? And I was right. This time I was wrong about the Warriors. But I remember that day after that show, because sometimes I'm willing to, you know, massage a point for the sake of the conversation. I didn't actually believe that the dynasty was closed, but I didn't think the Warriors were going to win the title. And I remember that day after that show, I was like, you probably shouldn't have said that. Like, <laughs> you jumped a little bit <laughs> off the deep end that day, right? So, of course, fast forward, they win. That clip lives in lore. We had fun with it on the show. I owned it, whatever. And I remember asking Stephen A about it. He's like, sometimes, he said, did you believe it on that day? I said, yeah. He's like, well, then let's move. Let's keep, keep it moving. And he's like, the nature of the beast is to give your thoughts on an issue that day and back at that point. And so when I finally did watch that clip back, uh, I was like, I didn't think that, I thought the point that I was making was legit. Dynasty clothes was a little strong, but again, it's a learning curve. And so for me, the things that are sort of spicy in terms of headlines, they end up posted on social media to live in lore. And so people definitely remember you for that, whether it's good or negative. And that's okay. I think I am okay understanding that things change. This is entertainment. And again, like I said, when I show up in those arenas, nobody bats a thousand and people are like, you're doing good work. The work that I show up sports in in the morning, I have this clip. This is why this team beat this team. Like when I get to really get into my basketball mode, that's my favorite part of it all. And I think that garners me a lot of respect. And I will add being here in New York, obviously with the Knicks, like the first few times people were like, yo, that's Monica. Who me? You talking to me? <laughs> so there's, there's respect <laughs> there. <laughs> all right, let's finish up on this. You played at Georgetown. I'm going to like, tell me if my dates are off. Maybe, maybe I'm off by a year. Like something like 2006 to 2010? Seven to, around 11. Like 2011? Seven to 11. Okay. Two th- all right. Close. Okay. So if my time frame is right, that would have put you up against UConn with Maya Moore? Yep. Tina Charles? Yeah. Tina. Maya's right. my classmate. So I played against Tina for two years, but she was gone by 2011. Yeah. All right. Kelly Farris. I remember that mm-hmm. too. All right. So I wanted to ask you who the best player you ever either played against or guarded, but maybe my guess is it's Maya Moore because if you played in that era, that's the best player in college basketball at that time. Well... Uh, we drew Baylor in the NCAA tournament. Uh, who's on? What, remind me of who is that? The is that a Griner mm-hmm. year? Is uh, is is um? Why well, I'm blanking now on the on the guard. Uh, Odyssey Sims. Griner's Odyssey yep. Sims. Yeah, so is she on that team yep. too. All right. Well, that's 
that's some serious those that's two serious teams and four pretty pretty big time players. Did you as a as a would I classify you as a uh, wing or a or or a or a shooting guard in college? Um, those are not interchangeable. Shooting guard, definitely. They can be. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, well, I asked that is because I don't know if you would have matched up with Odyssey Sims, who is a pure point guard, but you might have been covering Mamaya Moore. So, okay. So we ran our signature one two two. We led the country in turnovers, sports, and steals per game. <laughs> Shout out to us back in the day. I was at the. Yeah. You were a very good defensive yes. team. That's I was true. at the top of the press. So at some point, I got all of them. <laughs> Okay. Um, Yikes. I will say that Brittany Griner, who we need to get home, I will not let people forget yep. about that, um, is the toughest person I think I've ever dealt with on a basketball court because you just can't account for her size. Um, right. Second would definitely be Maya uh, because she just had such a motor. Like, block out one time, oh, she, she slipped that block out, she's on the other side getting a rebound. Like, she just had such a motor and she was such, such a specimen in terms of her strength, her quickness, the whole bit. Odyssey and that whole Baylor team. I remember that year. I think that was my junior year we ran into there, Yeah, they were They good. were so good. Yeah. And I remember our coach being like, that's that corn-fed Texas action. Like, y'all got to get in the weight room. Y'all got to get in the weight room to keep up with them. And they were strong. Like, they were strong. Um, but, yeah, I definitely would go Brittany one. Maya probably would be second. So, I remember uh, a couple of times doing um, women's basketball profiles I remember Pat Summit said this, and there were some other coaches who really like were sort of big on this. It's kind of interesting to me. In order, you can't replicate Brittany Griner. Mm-hmm. You don't have any player mm-hmm. on your team who can, who can in a, a practice replicate her. Many times you can't even get a guy from like a male practice player to be six eight and replicate it. So what I was told is a lot of times you would have players who would hold like a broom, like literally above their head, and that was like. You were trying to sort of mimic how you would shoot over Griner. Do you happen to remember like what your coaches tried to do to replicate playing like six eight athletic six eight, which is essentially which at that time in the women's game w- was unheard of. Like nobody, there were there were players maybe who were Britney size. There were there had never been a player before with her athleticism and size. I no. don't remember brooms for us, although that's not far fetched. We had a player on our team that was Sid was six six, I think. So I remember her being Brittany. It was a combination of sin for size. And then one of our assistants got in drills and was just like banging around, like just pushing us around, like for this <laughs> kind of the strength part of it. Um, so I remember that. But then a lot of what we did to try to disrupt was more about trying to disrupt the vision from the guards. Um, and then our post players had to get around in the defense that we played. But I remember those two things in terms of trying to prepare for her. But that was when we ran the Zim, that was NCAA tournament. So it wasn't a ton of time to prepare you know i think that was was that the year we went to we just went to the second round yeah we beat maris and then we played them in the second round um out in california uc berkeley so there wasn't did they win the, did they, is that did they win the title that year was that their year they won the title 2010 do you know i can't remember did they go on to win no i'm look i'm looking here 20 2010 slash 11 they won the national championship so no, that Let me was. See, I'm gonna look here. So that was the year before. I think you played them. Yeah, year before yeah, you played, played them. them. Yeah, I'm looking at the. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the. Um, uh, the their NCAA tournament, and they did not play you. I shouldn't be doing this live on air. Okay. At this point, it's if, a you're pie. if you're, it doesn't matter. If you are listening at this point, you're just you're the biggest Monica McNutt <laughs> fan of all time. All right. So the reason I'm doing this. Are right, you ready? You want to hear who you went against here? So obviously Brittany yeah. Griner, um, Brooklyn Pope. Would have been on that team. Does that ring a bell? Yep, 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 yep. 
Mariah Chandler was a freshman then, and she's a pretty good player. Uh, I remember her so much. Who else? Hold on. Where did these guys? All right. So if they ended up with Georgetown. All right. So they they actually. You know what? Kudos to you guys. You only lost 49-33. You held them to yeah, 49. We could, and I, every time we ran into a, a good team, like, something happened with us offensively. That's why my senior year, when we finally could score and we were holding UConn and we ended up losing by six in the Sweet 16 in Philadelphia, it broke my heart. Because every that year... Yeah they, 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 yeah, they lost to UConn in the Final Four that year. By the way, this is pre-Odyssey Sims. That, that's what changed that team. The next year, it looks like they had... If unless I'm doing this right, Odyssey Sims, and then um, oh no, maybe Odyssey. I'm not sure. All right, anyway, I'm looking at this. They beat you guys, then they beat Tennessee, which is probably a good team. They beat Duke by three, uh, and then lost to UConn seventy to fifty. Oof. So there Oof. you go. The Odyssey Sims wasn't on. That's a good U. That's okay. a all right. Based, yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but based on what I'm seeing here, now why was I was gonna say was she hurt? Now? I swear I played against Odyssey Sims. She might have been hurt. Let me see here. 2008, 2009. Beller. All right. We'll figure this out, Monica. This it's is all good. Me. I should know this. Literally, this is, I was covering uh, the Women's Final Four for Sports Illustrated then, so I should remember it. All right. Anyway, the larger point is you were a hell of a defender. I mean, you're a good player, but you really made your bones mm-hmm. on defense. And your team was really good on D. Did you? Were you? Uh, it would have been yeah. Big East then. Did you ever make a uh, all Big East I, team? I made a second, second team. team. I made an all-defensive team, nice. I think, and an academic team. The secret, though, Deitch, is I was a byproduct of a really good system that fit me. Straight up one-on-one defender, meh. But in our system, like, it was – I was perfect for our system. Ghana, you got to overhype yourself more. Like, by the time you're, like, 45 <laughs> years old, I want you to, like, talk like you were, you know, you're like Tarazi and Bird in 2001 or something like that. All right, Monica, as we close up, listen, I think the first time I met you was at Maryland. You were a grad mm-hmm. student. And, uh, again, I think you, there was just something about you that just popped. Like, you just – one, you just seemed like a, um, an interesting person. But, two, you just – you seemed very real to me. And I, it always sort of struck with me that I was like, I got to keep an eye on this, uh, this young woman because I feel like she's going places. And so now look so, at you now. I totally um, appreciate that. So it's very, very exciting. This, by the way, this podcast with us does signify the line no. where it all turns the other way. <laughs> okay, wait. You, bad mistake to go on, on this podcast. But otherwise, things, things are, are going, going great. On that story, right? I, this is like when Instagram right. was first starting and you were like, I was like, I got to follow Richard Dyke. She knows all the things. He's going to be great. I'm trying to find it because I'm sure it's still somewhere on my Instagram. But you had tweeted at me and I like screenshotted it back in the day and posted it on my Instagram. Um, I did. And it was, really? I, I, I would have I would have tweeted at you because I don't think I would have been on Instagram. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I took the screenshot from Twitter and then put it on my Instagram. Right. But basically, you said something like expecting big things out of business um, from you, McNutt. And I was like, woohoo, an affirmation. Like, here we go. So I do appreciate that vote of confidence. All right. Jump, Dyke. You've been my guy. Yeah, no, I feel good. I feel like that's. Uh... I feel like I'm a Sayujiri saying, like, I'm taking Pascal Siakam 27th overall, and the dude's going to be an all-pro one day. So that's very exciting that uh, you kept that. All right, let me give, because it's going to take forever to basically give all oh my gosh. to Monica. Um, all right, so you can find Monica McNutt on ESPN um, in multiple uh, areas. Like uh, we talked about earlier, she did the NBA draft this year, but you'll find her on NBA broadcast. You'll find her hosting NBA shoulder programming. She's a uh, regular or semi-regular and around the horn, however they sort of consider 
you know, what is a semi-regular or a regular. She's, you'll see her on first take. Oh, look at that. I wish it was, I wish this video, keep on, keep on keeping on McNutt. I expect great things out of you in this business. December 13th, 2012. All right. So I had one, I had one good tweet, by the way. So there you go. Anybody, everybody who's listening, who shitted on my tweets over the years. There you go. There's one, one I totally called. Um, and you can obviously catch her on MSG uh, Network. She's doing um, her podcast for Pure Hoops Media. And then you'll see her on um, sort of various uh, ESPN, um, like social initiatives. You, you sort of, a lot of times you'll sort of just see Monica pop up um, uh, around the ESPN uh, multiverse. Monica, as you know, uh, I'm really psyched for your success. I, I, you know I'm not bullshitting you on this. I'm really, really happy for you. And uh, it's great to see people who work hard and who really care uh, move up in the business. And I'm really glad your bosses have recognized this. Thank you for coming on the Sports Media Podcast today, and I wish you nothing but the best of success. Thanks for having me, Deitch. I enjoyed. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Monica McNutt. Uh, I'm a big fan of hers, and uh, just as a person, basically. I just I think she's interesting, and uh, and again, I think I, I think she referenced I met her first in 2012 when she was a grad student at Maryland. I don't even remember why I was there. I, I may have been part of some like round table or something like that, but uh, she just, you know, you just, sometimes you just know if people have it or if there's shit and like, uh, um, and, and she was cool from the start. So uh, I'm happy to see her success. Um, previous podcasts, at least the last couple ones, ESPN investigative reporter TJ Quinn discusses reporting on Brooklyn Reiner. We did uh, how to cover a historic sports team and the media future of Formula One. ESPN chairman Jimmy Pitaro went 63 minutes on this podcast. A lot of news and I think interesting insight there. Michael McCann, one of the best uh, sports legal experts in the country. We did a number of top- topics, including Deshaun Watson, some NCAA stuff, and then uh, interviews with uh, ESPN's Emily Kaplan, Haley Rosen, founder and CEO of Just Women Sports. Uh, had some roundtables with uh, Chad Finn conversation with all elite wrestling president and ceo head of creative tony khan if you like these kind of podcasts please uh, leave us a five-star review and a nice note that is how this uh, podcast continues i want to thank patrick antonetti for all his hard work thanks to everybody at cadence 13 and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the sports media podcast